Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash, and there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups and pots and bronze kettles and beds. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had for me is korban, that is an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus nullifying the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Of the many things that scripture says about Jesus, calling him savior of the world, the perfecter of our faith, king of kings, lord of lords, a teacher with authority, a miracle worker, a healer, of all the many glowing things that scripture says about Jesus, we don't expect it to say that he's not into hand washing. <laughs> Coming off a global pandemic, we know how important it is to have clean hands. The CDC's website says, clean hands save lives. So what's going on here in Mark chapter seven? Jesus and his disciples are eating a meal and the religious leaders criticize Jesus because some among the group have not washed their hands. And sure, Jesus was born in a manger, but shouldn't he know better? Shouldn't he know better? How can his disciples not wash their hands in a time and a place where most people ate with their fingers? That's kind of gross. Mark's gospel is the shortest gospel. I like that about it. Mark doesn't pause for nuanced discussion of emotional or theological reflection. If Mark's gospel were a movie, it would be an action film, just constant forward motion. But even Mark has to pause the narrative to clarify this embarrassing situation. Do Jesus' disciples really have dirty hands? Mark spends two whole sentences explaining that the disciples had in fact washed their hands. They simply failed to take part in a second ceremonial washing. Now a second ceremonial washing is not that thing you do where you wash your hands with soap and water and then sanitize them a second time just to be sure. That's not a ceremonial washing. In Jesus' time, there were, there were two types of hand washing. 
The first gets your hand clean, and the second symbolically makes your heart clean. That second hand washing is connected to the purification rituals observed by the priest at the Jerusalem temple. It's that hand washing, the symbolic one, that some of the disciples have failed to observe. We all feel better now, don't we? We all feel a little better. But still, Jesus has to deal with the criticism. His disciples may not have dirty hands, but the implication is that they might have dirty hearts. So what does he do? He uses this as a teaching moment. I love what he says. He fires back at them. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And whoever said Jesus didn't understand sarcasm didn't read that line. I mean, what's this about? Where is this coming from? Well, for starters, uh, the second hand washing isn't even the main point here. That second hand washing is just an example. It's, it's not commanded by God. Moses never required it. The prophets never required it. Centuries later, the rabbis suggested it as a spiritual practice. And spiritual practices are wonderful things, but are spiritual practices primary or secondary? to the instruction of God, that's what's at stake. And Jesus gives a devastating example of what can happen when those things get out of whack. He says, the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment says, honor your father and mother, and you've heard that, honor your father and mother. Parents like to remind their children of that when they're young, but it doesn't just apply when you're young, it applies as you grow older and your parents grow older. Because what you might not know is that that commandment implies a financial obligation. It's not just about submitting to your parents' advice and direction. It's not just about obeying them. Honoring your father and mother means to care for your parents as they age. Because in the ancient world, there is no social security, no 401ks, no safety net. Your retirement plan is the support of your children. It's funded by your children. And in Jesus' day, some of the religious leaders are encouraging those adult children to take the money they would have used to help their parents and instead give it as an offering to God. And to be clear, this is not that kind of church. If it doesn't seem right to you, it shouldn't. It wasn't right to Jesus either. In the debate between what scripture commands and what religious tradition demands, Jesus says that scripture wins. And it's this issue that drove the Protestant Reformation. This is the fourth week in our series. We are exploring the five solas, the five foundational claims of the Protestant Reformation. The short mnemonic is this, we are saved through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And this week, we explore the fourth claim, that scripture alone is the final authority on Christian faith and practice. My children like to make decisions using a game called rock, paper, scissors, and you may have heard of it, you may have played it. And it goes like this, rock breaks scissors, scissors cuts paper, paper covers rock. In this game, there is no final authority. There's no trump card that will automatically best the other choices. 
but for the Protestant reformers, the game is different. There is a final authority when it comes to matters of Christian faith and practice, and that final authority is scripture. This doctrine, this belief in the Reformed faith is called scripture alone. One of the great ironies of the modern religious landscape is how scripture alone has been misinterpreted and twisted beyond all recognition of its original intent. For some Christians, the Bible is elevated to almost divine status. There's practically a fourth person in the Trinity, and that's not what scripture alone means. It's not what it meant to the reformers. Their rallying cry of scripture alone was a reaction, a correction, against the over-reliance on tradition that they saw in the Catholic Church. Church tradition had become elevated to the level of divine truth. The word of the priest had become elevated to the level of divine truth. And for the reformers, this was an idolatry. Woe to us if we replace one idolatry with another. So no, scripture alone does not mean that the Bible is the end all and be all of God's revelation in our world. Scripture alone does not mean that we study our Bible in a vacuum, in a closet, and ignore any other outside information or commentary. When John Calvin, who was one of the leaders of the Reformation, when John Calvin wrote his sermons, he didn't take his Bible into a dark room and ignore any other input. And neither do I. Neither does any pastor here, because scripture alone is not the same as only scripture. Scripture alone doesn't mean we should throw away every book in our house, because only one book is necessary. See, the Bible encourages patience, but it does not contain a blueprint on how to put together your IKEA office desk. There are limits. There are limits on what the Bible is, and what it is not, what it can and what it cannot do. I don't advise using it as a cookbook or as an accounting text. What scripture alone means is that scripture is the standard by which we measure other sources of authority on faith and practice. If I get up and say something bizarre, you can go back to your Bible and check what I say against what it says. You can question me. You can question my sermons. I invite you to do that. I hope that what I say here will make you wonder, that it will intrigue you, it might even infuriate you or irritate you, and that will drive you to open your Bible and read it for yourself. In the Protestant church, it is okay to question your pastor because I am not infallible. I am not the standard. We have a standard. For less than $1, you can buy a wooden ruler at Walmart, one of the ones your school children use. You probably already have a ruler at your house, or one, or two, or ten. And every ruler you have is the same length, 12 inches, because a foot is 12 inches long. Everyone knows that. The length of a foot here in Marietta, Georgia, is the same as the length of a foot in Portland, Oregon, and in Tucson, Arizona, and in upstate New York. Wherever you travel, a foot is a foot is a foot, but it wasn't always the case. The foot, as a unit of measure, is traced way back, even before England, way back to the Roman Empire. And back then, it was called a Roman pes. At the time of Jesus, a foot in the city of Rome was 11 and a half inches long. 
But if you traveled outside of Rome, especially if you traveled north toward Gaul, you'd find that the length of a foot was different. In Gaul, the length of a foot was 13 inches long. Why? Because the governor of Gaul had bigger feet. In the ancient world, the length of a foot depended on whose foot was being measured, and it's easy to see how that could cause problems, especially if you're a carpenter. The humble wooden ruler is a luxury, it's a blessing. And scripture, like that ruler, is a blessing too. For Protestants, scripture is the ruler. It's the standard by which we measure our lives and our faith. Religious leaders come and go. Traditions evolve over time. What's fashionable changes week to week. Even our personal relationship with God shifts and transforms. But the word of God endures. It is reliable. We do well to return to it. Day after day, week after week, examining our hearts and our decisions in light of its teaching. And as we do this, we become changed, growing more and more into the imitation of Christ. This summer, my daughter asked for a sewing machine. I thought it would make for a good mother-daughter project to get one, so I bought the simplest model on Amazon. It has 26 stitches. <laughs> I've used one stitch so far, and I plan to only use one stitch. My daughter wanted to make a pillow as our first project, and I was a little nervous about the pillow because the last time I tried to make a pillow, it didn't turn out very well. It was back in middle school, and I was at my grandmother's house one summer. She had this huge, heavy black Singer sewing machine and a big bucket of scrap cloth. She let me pick out a fabric. She, she left me alone to do all of this. I picked out the fabric, I cut two roughly even squares, and I stitched them together. And guess what? The pillow came out crooked. It was terrible looking. And at the time, I didn't know the rule. Whether you're sewing a pillow or building a house, the rule is that you measure twice, you cut once. I hadn't measured at all. It's not enough to have access to a ruler. You have to use it. Don't let your life be like my lumpy, wonky pillow. Don't guesstimate your faith. You have a standard. Use it. For $10 at Walmart, you can buy a Bible. If you're here, you may already have one, or two, or 10 laying around at home, just waiting to be opened. And when you open those pages, you're not just opening a book. You're inviting God into your poorly constructed life, because believe me, it is poorly constructed. All of our lives are. You're inviting God in to transform it into something holy and good. Like a master seamstress, God stands ready to cut away the ragged edges, to repair the split seams, to true up what is out of square, and make our lives right. And so the rallying cry of scripture alone isn't a call to preserve traditions that we hold dear, to do what we've always done. It's a call to correction, to constant 
adjustment. Scripture alone calls us to evaluate our beliefs, practices, and traditions in light of Scripture and let go of those things that have become an idolatry. And it takes courage to answer that call. It takes faith to open ourselves up to that kind of transformation. But this is the legacy of the Reformation. Presbyterians are a people eager to be made new by God. May we continue to live into that legacy, to be a church reformed and always being reformed. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.